Hey, y'all. I am Kimberly Hayes de Muga. And I am Amanda Day. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to season two of, of the, the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. Kimberly and I are a dynamic duo bringing you insight and knowledge into the ever-evolving world of grants, development, and fundraising. Full disclosure, we're Southern. That's right. You may hear a y'all. Mm-hmm. It happens. This podcast is brought to you by Season 2 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, and grant mock review. Visit their website, www.dhleonardconsulting.com, to learn more. Today, we're sharing the second half of our interview with Vule, author of the popular blog, Nonprofit AF, and co-author of the book, Unicorns Unite. Now, Kimberly, Vu mm. is someone we were both excited to meet. What was your impression of him? Well, I love anyone who loves kombucha, so let me just get that out there. <laughs> um, but seriously, he's committed to change, but he goes about this with a sense of humor and compassion first, not in a self-righteous way. And he definitely inspired me to rethink how I approach my part of the working partnership with funders and how I can help change that process for the betterment of everyone concerned. Yeah. I know I always appreciate someone who is the same in person as they are in their online presence. I loved his calm insistence Mm -hmm. that if we want to change the relationship between grant funders and grant seekers, then we need to start speaking up about the issues at hand. I believe we talk about this topic in this section of our interview, but I wish I had heard someone like Vu using his platform for good back when I first started in this profession. Mm -hmm. For many of us, it's hard to do anything but blindly follow the grant rules because... That's what the funder requires. And also for many of us, we are taught to be nice and follow the rules. Yes, this is true. It never crossed my mind to ask questions or suggest changes in order to build the relationship for the betterment of my organization as well as my funder. Mm. What a novel idea. Yeah, it's sort of a woulda, coulda, shoulda had I known then. But you know what? We can do it now. We're doing it now. So, So Vu's work and those of other leaders in the nonprofit world have completely inspired me over the past, I would say, one to two years to take my frustrations with the grant seeking and fundraising process outside of grumbling over tea or other beverages and complaining to positive actions. So I want to thank him for that. And I want to thank you for that as my co-host. We're just going to take it to a higher level. Sounds like a plan to me. Mm. So without further ado, let's hear the second half of our interview with Vu. During the 2019 Rewrite Conference hosted by the Kentucky Grant Professionals Association and the Kentucky Nonprofit Network this past March, we spoke before a live audience. Questions came from both Kimberly and me, as well as members of the audience. So let's take a listen. Kind of what I was asking a little bit earlier is, is are any of your unicorn lessons applicable to relationships with government, especially state and local ones? You know, there's a lot of county and cities that do smaller grant programs. And I, I can tell you from experience, Kim, Kimberly and I both have applied um, in Georgia. There was a county grant program, small grant, like $15,000. We're not naming the county. We won't say that name. Um, but um, that grant took more time to write and more time to manage than a $5 million felt dollar federal grant because of the there's rules like no and relation between the amount of money and the amount of paperwork yes and so and they would i mean 
to their credit, they would have a meeting every year and be open to questions. And there were plenty of times we said, this is a lot of stuff you're asking for. Um, but their answer was always like, well, we have to have it. That's um, always the answer all, yes. that government people give when you when you say, well, they're like, well, we are accountable for taxpayers' money, so we yes, have to be that's transparent the big and all this stuff. And I would say, okay, yeah, we should try to be understanding. At the same time, we need to, to push back because a lot of this is just like their own fear of stuff. And I think we've been, at least at my own organization, we've been pushing them a little bit more. There was one time, here's a great story. I was on paternity leave. Right, but right before paternity leave, I, I had applied with another organization for a grant that was $100,000 with the city to launch a really cool project. So then the baby came. I was taking, it was my two weeks off, and the city called and said, Vu, we want you to come in. Can you get your partner organization, and can you all come in and meet with us tomorrow? And I was like, oh, sure, because it sounds like a site visit or the interview stage of this grant process, so let's, let's do this. So then we pulled, um, um, we called, and my partner organization was in a di different city. It took mm -hmm. like two hours for her to drive up. So we were there. We paid 20 bucks each for parking downtown Seattle. Mm -hmm. Sat down. They were like, yeah, we just want to let you know. Thank you for coming in. We want to let you, let you know that um, you did not get the grant. And we just want to give you some feedback so that next time you could, you could do better. Did you burst into tears? Because that's what I would have done. Like, oh. No, I did not break into tears. I got very angry. I was like, did you send this notice by, by writing? They're like, oh, no, we wanted to give you this in person first. I was like, so you dragged me out of paternity leave and made me park and then make my partner organization drive up here for two hours so you can tell us no, something you could have done on the phone in two minutes. This is incredibly disrespectful. I had not slept for two weeks. Yeah, so. fair enough. I was yeah, like, this is incredibly That's, disrespectful. Yeah, paternity it's a will waste do that. of our time. And I hope that you will never do this again. And they're like, oh, no one's ever told us this before. Oh. And I was like, okay. Uh, and so I left, you know. And um, what <laughs> I would hear from a different person that word starts spreading of how like angry I was around the city and this is good Words, word is spreading right but one person who worked for this person was like Vu did you realize um yeah this person came and and thought and, and said that I, I asked if I knew you and I said I did and she's like Vu seemed really angry and I'm wondering if, if that's like a cultural thing oh so Collective gas throughout yes. the entire room. <laughs> if you didn't hear that, that is not a cultural thing. That is a human being human. thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, no, we put up with crap all the time, and we just need to stop it. I think this will be. I have not heard another story of them pu pulling in nonprofits to tell them no since then. So, yes, they do have these excuses, which oftentimes are valid. At the same time, we need to push back. We had another grant that was from the city, from the county. And it was like they wanted a, a work plan that, and they wrote out the work plan for us. Like, this is the, your monthly work plan for, the, for, for this project. And we want a report every month. And we called them. I was like, we're not going to do that. Sorry. <laughs> They're like, yeah, but this is like we need to be accountable to our taxpayer. I'm like, I'm, you can still be accountable, but we are not giving you monthly reports. We don't have time for this. Do you want us to do our job or not? And they're like, oh, okay, well, let's negotiate. Dang. So... Yeah, so now I think it's like a twice a year report instead of monthly. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, and this is for some major grants of 250,000. I'm like, I don't care if it's $250,000. I'm not giving you a monthly report. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that could, I, I'm, I'm impressed, but I, I can see in a little speechless. Yeah, because I mean, on one hand, you're right. If, if we don't start pushing back, nothing is ever going to change. But I totally understand coming from that. I'm the small nonprofit. We live and die by the few grants we get. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what if we do this and they don't give us our money? You know, that's that's a scary thing to start making that leap. But I think it goes back to Kimberly and I were talking earlier after your keynote. You know, we, the we big thing is we do. Um, you definitely, as a grant person, I certainly don't have the power to do that my executive director, my board, those are the ones that do. So maybe the big thing is starting to have those conversations with them. Um, and I think even on the local level, like if I think it's ridiculous, maybe talk to my mayor who has way more clout than I do, and he can start meeting with the county officials going, hey, do you guys realize what you're really making us do and what that means? And, it, you know, that may be a good way to start the conversation. I would say that you, we have way more power than we think that we do. And we just, we're afraid of it. We're afraid of using it because in many ways we're addressing like what happens when power is, is, is not in balance, right? So we're always fighting with power. And so we're afraid to use it ourselves. And I'm reminded of what MLK, Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. said about love and power. It's like, no, they, they go hand in hand. You, you can't just like love and be all compassionate and everything. Like... If you really love the community, then you have to be okay with using power, you know, not to abuse it, but to use yeah. it strategically in order to make the community better, right? So avoiding power, avoiding your own power, avoiding building power is not the solution. Mm. So being able to like, and, and we, we play this all the time. And ED was telling me that in her city, every year, the, the local newspaper releases a, like a, an article listing out like the 10 nonprofits with the highest overhead rates. Oh. And she goes, I'm just deathly afraid that we will end up on that list every year. Oh, wow. And I said, okay, why don't you and a bunch of other nonprofits get together and write an op-ed about how crappy and destructive that list is? Mm. Why don't you do that? You know, why do we keep putting up with stuff? So we got to be more strategic, like you said. Yeah. Like, go and meet with the mayor. If you, have, if you have a relationship with someone in power, then use it. I don't be afraid of it. You're, you're using it in service of good, and we should be doing it more often. Yep. Well, I think education not only needs to be, you know, foundations, the funders are, you know, worried about overhead, but it's, I think it's also the general public at large. I know many people that are, oh, I don't donate to that nonprofit. You know how much they pay their CEO, so they don't, they don't deserve my... They well, bought organic blueberries. Yeah, once. <laughs> and so it's one of those things. It's not. It's not. It's a. It's a like, whole public perception that needs to change. I think, which dovetails into this fabulous question this we just question, received out of nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> do you think the salaries of CEOs of nonprofits affect the trust of foundation funders? Um, I'm not so sure because foundation funders. Let's be honest. Foundation staff and CEOs make a lot more money than nonprofit staff, and this. This is why our turnover rates are so high besides all the restrictions and mm -hmm. the lack of trust and everything, right? So, no, we need to stop being apologetic about this. And like you said, every year there's a, there's a meme that goes around like, you know, this ED gets paid $400,000, this ED gets paid whatever, two hundred k, And anytime someone is paid over $100,000 in the sector, everyone else freaks out. Mm -hmm. And it just reveals how backwards our society's priorities are. 
Yeah, sure. Let's let's give uh, millions of dollars to our superstar entertainers who are twerking or whatever on TV or designing video games um, that with lots of violence, shooting and everything. Yeah, they're making five million. That's perfectly fine. But let's uh, a CEO trying to end homelessness and, mm-hmm. and 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 leading an organization that has 300 staff making over 200, 300,000 dollars. And let's let's freak out about that. That's just ridiculous, and we just need to stop being so nice about it. <laughs> Very true. A lot of the things that you're bringing up um, also came to a head for me when I read Decolonizing Wealth. That was a recommendation that you made. So people sometimes do what you say. I'm not normally super compliant, but I did um, I did uh, read. It's called Decolonizing Wealth by Edgar Villanueva, and he is talking about sort of the whole structure of how – well, society at large, but how the whole structure of funding is set up. But it's a really thought-provoking read, and I urge you to go out and um, check it out. One of the things that, as as a white person, one of the things that I'm looking at is I want to encourage more people of color to come into this field, but I'm also conflicted about it a little bit because, as you pointed out this morning in your keynote, it's a game. And so I teach grant writing, and sometimes I find myself going, okay, I know this isn't fair, and I know this isn't right, but I can teach you how to navigate this unfair, not right thing to get money for your nonprofit. And then I just kind of want to just go take a shower and um, <laughs> and and rethink my whole life. But yet that's not the way, and I'm, I'm, I, I want to... I want to welcome people younger than me who look different than me who are out and doing important work to help them understand how to navigate this. But it's also kind of uh, the system's not right. So the struggle for me right now is where do I find that balance? Let me teach you this game and then let's work together to change the game. Yeah, that sounds good. That was great. So I think we're done here. (laughs) Kimberly just answered her own question. Talking through it, talking through it. Well, and I would say the inequity, this was again mentioned in the keynote, and another thing Kimberly and I recently talked about, we were both reviewers for a, um, uh, a school system after-school program for the state. In the state that rhymes with Morja. <laughs> so, so we can't tell you the state, though. So we're doing these, you know, we're on the other side. We're the reviewer. We get to score. And, of course, we have no control. There, there were several things. You know, the sustainability question was asked, and we had to meet the scoring rubric, and it pained me because I hate that question. And I, I felt everybody who answered, I'm like, I feel you, but I can't give you a perfect score according to their rubric, but I'm right. doing my best. But the thing that really killed us is a lot of the applications that clearly needed the most help based on yeah. the data they were providing, the schools that were underperforming, crime was an issue, all of these things, they were so poorly written. And again, based on that scoring rubric, they're scoring very bad. They're not going to get the funding. The schools that are going to get it are the ones that, yeah, they're having a little bit of problems, but clearly they got enough money to hire a consultant or they've got someone on staff that knows what they're doing. And so it is, it's that self-perpetuating. And Kimberly and I both were like, how, of course, our brilliant idea was maybe part of the funding is we're going to give everybody money to hire the right grant writers. That way the answer, the right need gets funded. I don't know that funders would ever do that, but that was our solution. They should be. Yeah. Because, I mean, how else is it How else is it ever going to get the help where it's needed? Our program officers go visit nonprofits and then write it up in bite-sized chunks that they feed to their board of directors anyway. And, you know, just change it. I can find something else to do. I'm enjoying podcasting. <laughs> I've had a career in food service. It's okay. But this is, this is what we, we really need to, to talk about. Like, why, why are we doing this? You know, it's like this forcing... 
I really hate this concept of leveling the playing field, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we gotta we gotta level the playing field so everyone can compete. Like the field will never be level, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Like whoever writes the best grants always tend to get it, and that is not right. Mm-hmm. That is not fair. And I I'm just really I, I think we need to just rethink this entire system. Do we do this to to the people that we serve? I mean, if we have if we're serving hungry kids with our with our food bank <coughs> or something. Do we go, hey, we'd love to feed you, but um, we want you to write an essay about how hungry you are, and whoever writes the best essay will get the food. <laughs> well, and then we think that that is accountability. What, what is that? The hungriest kids are probably not the ones who can write the best essays. You know? Right. It doesn't make any sense. So then we have to get out of this mindset of this rubrics and accountability and into equity because that is completely different. I was writing about this, uh, a blog post called The Courage to be Unfair, which is like people have this concept of fairness and fairness right now, the way that we understand it, is about equality. It's about everyone getting the exact same things that no one else can complain. And, that's, and that manifests in things like the scorecard. It's like, oh yeah, we'll give everyone the exact same opportunity mm-hmm. so they can compete and we give them the exact same way that we're ranking and reviewing them because that's the fair way to do things. Well, that is not the equitable way to do things. Because like you said, many of the small the communities that are in desperate need of help are not going to have the staff that they need. And so what, because we're, we're trying to be fair, we now are not equitable. So I think we just need, like for my own organization, we just stop with the applications altogether. It's like we're not going to do any more applications. And it, we're just going to have a conversation with you and see if we have a good alignment in, on everything instead of this this the application process, which I think is, is really inequitable. Maybe that's something we can do as, as grant reviewers is to provide that feedback, question the process of it. Mm-hmm. You know, what are we, what are, are there, what are provisions are for folks who clearly through the data that they've collected, it's not like the need isn't there and it's there on the page, but you know, are we really letting spelling and grammar dictate who gets hundreds we of do. thousands of it's, dollars? Yeah. It's yeah. the same. It's not just grant writing. It is also about hiring practices. Yeah. It's like if you write the best uh, cover letter, if you don't have a typo, et cetera, then, you know, then you, you, you move on to the next stage. If you don't have to play the unwritten rules, like sending a handwritten thank you note, which is nowhere indicated in the application, right? You must answer, you send us your cover letter and resume, and at the end, please also write a handwritten thank you note, <laughs> right? We don't say that. Yeah. So it's an unwritten rule. True that. Right? But for many... Organization, many cultures, like my culture, we don't thank people with notes. We just don't. You thank people with food, which I think is just way better. (laughs) Okay. I like that. Yeah, it's great. But imagine if someone had an interview with you and then they sent you cookies. It doesn't freak me out. Exactly. Unless they were really good. (laughs) I don't know. We're we're teaching a class later in the same room, and I did bake derby pies to share. So the Southerners do like to cook. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah. So this is a situational thing. It's a little bit long, but shall we? Yeah, sure. Okay. A few years ago, the nonprofit I work for accepted a very large grant that essentially doubled our budget. It was for two years. I started work there at the time for renewal. At the time, there was a lack of communication and mismanagement from the foundation. They ended up forgetting about us. Now they ask us to try again this year. Our board and staff are split on what we should do what would you do? Special note, we have had to cut our budget 
10% because of this. Okay, give me a minute to calm down. <laughs> angry, he's getting angry. This just goes back to that stupid people question, right? Yeah. Just yeah. Like not the not the question asker, but the, the situation. Yeah. That is incredibly irritating. So this foundation screwed up and now the nonprofit is suffering. And the foundation's uh, proposed solution is why don't you do extra work to clean up our mess instead of like Okay, so sorry, we're going to give you not only this year's allocation, but also the last year because we forgot it or whatever. Like, that's what we need to be pushing. And that I, I would go and have a, I don't know, I think people call it a come to Jesus. We, we certainly do call it that. And we're yes. in the right place to do that today. It's like, and bring a, this is what we need to do. We are very good at organizing people. Our sector historically is, has been the ones rallying people and having these marches and movements. I mean, that's what that's what we do. And sometimes we forget about this because <laughs> mm. of the power dynamics. I would go and say, look, you know, we really appreciate the support here, right? But your decision and what happened here, you forgot. It really affects hundreds of people's lives here. And here are eight of them to talk <laughs> about how it's affected them. <laughs> Personal stories are powerful. That's right. Yeah, no, I think mean, people forget about this because, again, what I what I mentioned earlier was funders and many of us, we tend to intellectualize. We sure. forget that what we do affects real people's lives. And sometimes it's important to be reminded by actual people who are being affected. So bring them into a room. In Seattle, we have this sort of joke that is very true, which is if you want the school board to do anything, you just get a bunch of parents, get 20 parents to dress <laughs> up in the same T-shirts. Uh, and they will do whatever the heck you want. True story. It's sad. But it works. But it works. And But who are able to do that? In Seattle, it's always white, white. upper middle class parents yep. who can afford the t-shirts and the time off and the to do off. this. But we have to learn the same principles. You know, if this is the system, the game that we're playing, mm. then we got to understand it. It's the loudest voices win in the U.S., in, in this society. And we need to be louder. We got to stop being apologetic about being loud when it's in service of equity. Excellent. She's going to be loud now. I've got, a, I've got another long question, but it's a good one here. So um, it says, as you've covered before, funders often ask not only about outputs, but also outcomes for our programs and how they'll help build toward a vision of peace, harmony, and unicorns in the <laughs> nonprofit's area of expertise. That's a great visual there, right? Like How do you respond to a request for quantitative evaluations of those complex outcomes in a manner that is actually realistic, honest, and we can actually claim that, and it honors the desire for transparency. So in other words, how can we actually do what we're saying we're going to do versus just making crap up and hoping I like it. it works? <laughs> I think that's what we're getting at here. Yeah, that is, uh, we should be doing better at evaluation, right? A lot of the evaluation data in the sector is, is very crappy. And, you know, and that's full of confounding variables. We don't account for other nonprofits, interventions with the clients, and all of these, all these things. So evaluation takes time to do well, and it takes resources to do well. And that's a message I would really get out to the funders, which is like, if you want, this is the evaluation that we have. We are trying for this combination of qualitative and quantitative um, evaluations. But to do this really well, we need another $100,000. So can you help us get that? 
<laughs> like that's, we just need to stop. It's like if you do, But that's fair. I mean, that's fair. If this is the level fair. you want, we don't have the ability to do that in-house with the time and resources we currently have. So yeah. help. <laughs> exactly. And also, I would really encourage foundations to really own evaluation. Mm. It's like, no, you have the resources. There's not enough work sometimes. You know, for one, we don't have money or enough work to hire a full-time evaluator. Right. It's just way better for the foundation to hire one evaluator who's going out there to the 20 nonprofits and to help evaluate them all. But why, why is it on? Why is the burden on us to, to do a lot of this work? Just like sometimes I get really irritated by some of the questions posed by funders like, how are you going to leverage this grant? How will you leverage this grant? And my response would be, why don't you leverage this grant? You know all your friends. <laughs> you know all the other funders. You've got the connections. I have stuff to do. I'm helping people. Why don't you go, because you know everyone it's, and they listen to you, it's just way better for you to go and leverage the funding. So can you let me know how you're going to leverage this grant you're giving us for additional money so we can keep doing our work? So, I, I mean, we don't have to be that blunt with them. But... It just shows how we have just been trained to answer questions acquiesce. and yes. acquiesce instead of actually thinking about how whether this is make, making any sense. Making any sense. So mm -hmm. with the evaluators, like, yes, we love evaluation. We want to do more of it, but we can't because we don't have the resources. So will you help us with the resources? If not, this is the best we can do. Move on. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, that's an important thing to learn. And I don't think it's most like... My first year writing grants, even if I had was sitting in this room hearing all this, there's no way I would have ever thought to do I would be like, no, I can't. I'm new. I'm young. I'm so I think it's just one of those things. The, the longer you've been in the field, the more you start realizing the inequities and the ridiculousness and are more willing to speak just up. Speak and out. so yeah. I think the burden is on, on people us. like us. Yes. Are so, you calling us old? Is that what you're saying? Oh, just on this end of the day. Yes. It's just, <laughs> this is the youthful end of the day. Well, you know, well... <laughs> I agree with you. Okay. I become, <laughs> you. I'm like, I how do I answer that? No, answer. I'm not calling you old. <laughs> it's me. I'm old. Yes. I got kids. You, okay, Vu, you earlier talked about your three and five year old. Mine are 14 and nine, so I'm just going to tell you it. I wish there was better? a light at the end. It's just different. It gets different. It gets different. <laughs> like now I'm up at night because. Yeah, my child informed me that he he told a girl he liked her for the first time, and I'm I'm like, oh, so now this is a thing I have to worry about. So there, there's there's always reasons for sleeplessness. Oh, no. I'm gonna do one from what my parents told me. What's you're that? not dating until you're 25. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. And how'd that work out? Pretty well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I, was, I went to college. I left home for college. So, uh, so then you. I'm like, there you go. Yeah. What happens on campus? Yeah. Stays there on you go. I like it. Okay. So, one last question before we wrap up. It's yeah. It's a nice question. I think. Okay. Okay. Good one to end on. It's well written. Thank you to whoever did this. Beyond baby animals, as you discuss fears of both success and failure, complex needs in the world, and constant questions about NPO ability slash trustworthiness. What are your recommendations for overcoming NPO trauma? <laughs> I'll just lay that right Wait, there. Wait, is it trauma or drama? Trauma. Trauma. Trauma, trauma. from the drama. Yeah. Well, we are in Kentucky. Is bourbon the answer? We've been discussing that. <laughs> Kids, We bourbon. do really need to talk about the alcoholism in the sector. I mean, that is... It's a thing. You know, I mean, we joke yep. about it, but I think there is some drinking issues that we need to, to talk about. But that's for a different podcast. Okay. Um, how recommending overcoming nonprofit trauma? Um, 
I would say we, we really need to do a better job taking care of ourselves, right? We talk about self-care, but I really don't think most of us do it well. Self-care becomes another thing for us to do. Mm. And it that becomes, we don't have time yeah, for. Right. That we don't have time for. Like I would put exercise more and drink a green smoothie and meditate. <laughs> I don't have time for that stuff. So I think we really have to understand and accept some philosophical changes. Yeah. Like one, we're not indispensable, all right? As soon as if you quit your job, You'll be, re, you'll be replaced within a couple of months. So accepting that is both kind of, you know, insulting, but also freeing, mm, yeah. right? And there's always more work for you to do. There's no possible way for you to finish everything and be okay and, and spend as much time on everyone that you can. Like I have just accepted that I, there's just no way I can respond to all my emails every day. It's just, it's just not. I can try for inbox zero, but I think that's actually not a good idea. It's like, no, don't, don't try for it. Like, you know yourself. If you can do it, great. But I'm just like, you know what? I am just, I have my strengths and my weaknesses, and I'm going to try my best. But I'm also going to give myself a break, too. That's one thing, right? Okay. And then, but a lot of the self-care and the trauma are caused by organizations and foundations. <coughs> and we cannot address it unless there's a bunch of changes in the sector itself. Like nonprofits need to pay our, our staff members more. We need to be providing better paid family leave and retirement benefits. And the only way we can do that is if we encourage funders actually fund these things and we have to speak up on it. So we can, uh, I mean, it's, we have enough issues dealing with, with the heartbreaking stuff that we, that we are addressing all the time, right? But a lot of the trauma comes from just the lack of support in the organization, the lack of payment, the lack of security. Um, those things are really deadly. And I have just been really frustrated because a lot of these things can be solved by stable funding sources. If funders can just provide general operating funds over across several years so we can focus on our work, that will help yeah. to greatly prevent burnout. Yeah. Well, and I think um, an answer, too, is just figuring out what it is that kind of makes you happy. Because I'll be honest, that's why we're doing the podcast now. Kimberly and I used to meet for lunch occasionally, complain about things in the job. And we finally were like, okay, we need to do something different. What, let's do something fun together. And that that discussion turned into, we should do a podcast. And now, I mean, that doesn't make everything else in our lives perfect, but we have the best time in studio and working on this sorts of thing. And it kind of makes, when one part of your life's happy, it certainly helps with all kinds of others too. So yeah. So do you do things for yourself then? Don't apologize for it. Yeah. If you want to take a day off, go. Take Just a day take off. it off. Yeah. I we give our entire team the the, the the week between Christmas and New Year off. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's just like just just do it. No one is there in the no sector doing anything. Anyway. Uh-huh. Right? And this is a simple, cost effective way to just greatly improve morale in the sector. Just give people a little bit more time off. Do something fun. Go on a Friday. In the summer, release your team on Friday. Release. Like, release go. Release the team. <laughs> you know, have give, give them a half day off every Friday. You know they're going to make this up on the weekend, freaking out about a grant or something. So <laughs> just just, just do that, you know? Yeah. You know, I think that's a very lovely visual to leave in our podcast on. So yes. taking Fridays off. Especially Everyone. when the weather's beautiful, right? We said to. During, like during the summer, yeah. So, go for it. So, well, Vule, thank you so much again for being the guest on Fundraising Heyday. We have enjoyed having you here with us today. Thank you, you both. Sorry I was ranting about stuff. This is We, 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 we kind of wanted to, we were welcoming the rants. I think there yeah. need to be more rants on podcasts. Yeah. So. I'm pretty good with rants. <laughs> okay. And um, um, for our listeners, you can uh, find Vule on Twitter at 
at Nonprofit AF, which is also fabulous or absolutely fabulous, or his blog, nonprofitaf.com. You can also read his book, Unicorns Unite. And I would like to give a quick shout out to the Kentucky Grant Professionals Association chapter um, and the Kentucky Nonprofit Network. They were the hosts of the 2019 Rewrite Conference here in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, and they're the reason we were able to make this um, first live recording of our podcast happen. So we appreciate that. We would like to applaud you at this time. Thanks, everybody. So that finishes our fabulous time talking to Vule, Executive Director of Rainier Valley Corps in Seattle, Washington. Were you inspired? Were your thoughts provoked? Care to elaborate? Drop us a line at fundraisingheyday at gmail.com or on Twitter at fundingheyday. Thank you again to our Season 2 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, www.dhleonardconsulting.com, to learn more. And remember, there are no specific college degrees in grant writing or fundraising, but there are a lot of good people with experience to share, training programs, and other ways to learn. We'd love for this podcast to be one of your favorite ways to learn. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes this season, including our next one, where we will broach a new topic. Oh, my favorite. Fundraising events. Woo! Lord, yes. Kimberly has planned an event or two over her career and has lots of insights to share. Make sure you tune in. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all.